Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, if we haven't met before, or hey, I haven't, we, you know, with everything going on with the church plant, I haven't been here for a while. I'm Pastor Blake. I'm the uh, planter and an eventual uh, pastor of uh, Redemption Church. Uh, we are the church plant in Monroe, Wisconsin. If you've never been to Monroe, Wisconsin, it's about 45 minutes to an hour south of here uh, near the Illinois state line. And if you haven't been there, I tell you, you should go. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a great place. You can find some amazing cheese there and some amazing people. Um, and we know there's amazing people that come out of Monroe because that's where, that's where Pastor Dave came out of, you know. So he's, he's, if you like Pastor Dave, you'll like Monroe. Um, if you don't like Pastor Dave, just don't judge Monroe based off of him then. <laughs> No, no, no. He's a great guy. We uh, so so here's you know we we love Monroe. We're so excited for what God's doing there. And uh, I wish I was I was able to be here last week. I didn't feel well, so I had to call uh, Pastor Dave and say, "Hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it." And um, and but I, I watched the sermon. I wasn't feeling well, but I was watching the sermon, and I had my my Bible open, my notes in there, all that kind of stuff, and I'm listening to Pastor Dave, and I'm like, "Wow, those are great points." Like, I'm so glad that, that he, he preached it because he did such a great job. And, and I'm excited. You know, God, uh, there's no constant, um, the, there's, there's, there's no, like, just I, God always works out what he's going to do. He's sovereign in control. And now I'm here. And instead of preaching Acts chapter 21 and 22, it's Acts chapter 23 and 24. So go ahead, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 and 24. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning, I'll tell you a little bit more about Redemption Church and what's going on in Monroe. God is moving in amazing ways. Um, on May 22nd, you guys had your baptisms here at City on a Hill. Well, we had baptisms uh, in, uh, at, at where we have our office space area. There's a, uh, a place for, um, it's part of a trucking outfit. The family that, that owns that outfit, owns the building, uh, gave us one side of the building to use to have watch parties, which every Sunday morning we do. We watch uh, City on a Hill, watch you guys, and uh, worship together with you guys, hear the message, and then we pray together as a core team. And what we did on the 22nd was we had three people get baptized. And so it was so, it was so fun how God kind of put all that together as we started small groups. We call them growth groups. And within that, we also started what we called, uh, we don't really have a name for it. We're just calling it kind of discipleship group right now where it's a little bit of a smaller group focused on Bible study and discipleship. Well, we have one of those groups and actually the group leader is here. Her name's Becky. And so Becky's here today. We also have a few other people from Redemption Church as well. And, uh, and so she's leading this group and was opening up the Bible. They're going through this Bible study, got to a point where the gospel was clearly laid out and she, um, she taught them the gospel. This is what the Bible says about the good news of Jesus. And these two ladies looked at her and said, we never heard it that way. And so Becky led, led them to Christ and gave them opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. And they did. And, and it was so fun. You know, Becky probably has another side of the story, but this is what I saw. I was in my office. They were in the kind of truck bay area doing this. They come, Becky comes in my office, just like almost like a hummingbird. Like I thought she was just going to take flight. And, uh, and, and Becky, you were so excited to tell me that, uh, that Dar and Michelle gave their lives to Jesus and you were able to pray with them. And, and, uh, and was just so excited about that and that they're interested in being baptized. So talked to them and they were interested in being baptized, understood what that meant. And we talked about that. And I talked to Dave and he said, you know what? Uh, the 20 seconds really close. You just, why don't you just do baptisms as well? And, and so we do whatever good church plant and what you guys do. You, we bought a cattle tank. It was my first time buying a cattle tank, not for cattle, uh, but it was great. 
Uh, we had three baptisms. We had Dar and Michelle who gave their lives to Christ, and also Dar's husband, Billy, um, who uh, wanted to be baptized. He was baptized in the past, but didn't really understand what he was doing. And now he understood what it meant and wanted to be baptized as well. And so it was really fun uh, being able to do that. And we haven't even launched our public services yet and to be able to do baptisms, which is a big part of who we are. We want to make disciples. And uh, part of making disciples is, if you, if you know Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, the Great Commission is to baptize. That's part of that, is to make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them the ways of Jesus. And so it's just so exciting to be able to do that. So God's working. We have people giving their lives to Jesus. We have baptisms happening. We have leaders being installed and put into place. We have groups that are meeting and coming together. Uh, we've got uh, different policies and procedures and processes coming into place. And we're looking to this fall to, to launch our services. And we're super excited to do that. And we're in the home stretch. And so uh, keep praying for us. We, we appreciate your support so much. You guys are our sending church and we are just, we would not be here. I would not be here. Uh, we would not be able to do what God's called us to do in Monroe without you guys. So continue to pray and we'll continue to give you updates on what God's doing. And whenever you want to come on down to Monroe, we love to have you and to see what God's doing down there and, and for you to maybe even get your hands dirty as well. So, uh, well, I hope that's long enough for you to find Acts chapter 23 and 24. If it's not, Keep looking. You'll, you'll get there. Don't worry. Uh, but I'm just glad to, to be here today to preach from this text. Uh, so if you were here last week, you heard from Pastor Dave, and you know uh, maybe a little bit of what's going on. If you don't, I'll just kind of give you a quick rundown. We are focusing on the testimony of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul went and planted churches in these Gentile areas and cities throughout uh, the Roman Empire, and then he received a call to go back to Jerusalem. And everyone on the way to him going to Jerusalem told him it was a bad idea, and they were even working on behalf of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're telling them, you're going to be bound, you're going uh, to be beaten, all this stuff is going to happen to you. And the Apostle Paul said, I have to go. I have to go. God's called me to go. You're breaking my heart, but I have to do it. He goes, and guess what? It, it happens, right? He, gets, uh, he goes to try to prove himself as a Jewish, still a Jewish follower and very much holding to the law. And a couple of Jewish people from Asia who saw him preach in Ephesus and, and, all, and all the church planning efforts that he was doing up there uh, called him out and said, hey, he, this guy tells Jewish people not to be Jewish anymore in a roundabout way. And, uh, and they, they pulled him out. Uh, the Jewish people were starting to beat him. Uh, the Romans took him away. And then he asked, the, asked to give an address, and that's chapter 22. Gives the address and the testimony of what God has done in his life through Jesus Christ. Brought up that he was called to the Gentiles, and they went to try to kill him again. The Romans grabbed him. The Romans were going to beat him and do stuff until he told them that he was a Roman citizen, which was a big deal back in ancient Rome. If you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. And they, if, if they violated those rights, that was a big deal to whoever violate, violated those rights. So now Paul has been set up under the authority, under the, the protection of Rome now, to be able to walk through whatever charges the Jewish people have against him. And that's where we get to chapter 23. And, we, and what I'm calling this message today is the courageous call, the courageous call. Now, guys, I know last week was Memorial Day weekend. You probably had a whole lot of fun. Me, I was sick, so I didn't have a whole lot of fun. But, um, but it is a time for us to reflect on, on courage, to reflect on courageous acts by those who serve us. 
uh, serve us in the military, those who gave their last ounce of devotion and courage for us, people known and unknown. And so Memorial Day weekend is a time for us to remember those folks and to pay, and to pay our respect and to honor them. And when we think of courage, we think of folks like that. And there's people like that, not just in, in our military, but as we look throughout history and we look in our lives, we have courageous people in our lives personally. We have courageous people throughout church history, throughout the scriptures, who have done courageous things, who have stepped out of their comfort zone, way out of their comfort zone to do things for God by walking in obedience. And last week, you guys talked about being obedient to what God's called you to do. Well, now we're going to talk about having courage as you go through that. And because having courage is something that, it, it, courage can be easily lost sometimes. When, when you face resistance, when you face pressure, when you face all the things of life, even the little things, you can sometimes lose courage. And so we're going to talk about where our courage comes from and how we can have that courage as we walk out this call. And we're going to see it through the testimony of Paul here in the book of Acts chapter 23 and 24. All right, so first, uh, number one is this, courage from the resurrection, courage from the resurrection. And I want to just focus a little bit, this is going to be verses 1 through 10, but let's focus a little bit on verses 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5, just for a second, because I think we all can relate to what happens to the Apostle Paul here in verses 1 through 5. All right, and if you can, I hope you're going you're gonna to see, your, your, uh, you're going to be able to walk in his shoes for just a second and all this. So this is what happens. Verse 1, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded that those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. As you are sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Okay, so... Let's unpack this just a little bit, all right? As we talk about courage from the resurrection, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second, but I want you to see the humanity of the Apostle Paul here, all right? So a lot's happened in his life. He's gone through a lot. And here he is, he's been beaten, he's been bloodied, he's been carried into barracks, getting ready to be beaten by the Romans, had to call out and then say, hey, I'm a citizen, having to prove his innocence and do all this. And now he's standing before the leaders of, his, of the Jewish faith, and he's standing before him, and this is what he says. Verse 1, he says this, And looking intently at them, he says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Basically what he says here is, I am innocent. All the things that are being said about me, all the things you guys are saying about me, all this, I don't follow the law, all this, I'm telling you, I am innocent. From my first day to this day, I have lived in good conscience before God, and, and, and I'm telling you, I am innocent, brothers. And as soon as he says that, the chief priest, and he doesn't know it's a chief priest, may signal for the people next, next to him to sock him right in the mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, you're, you're intently pleading your case before a governing body, a, a group of leaders. And the next thing you know, as you, as you say what you say, I am innocent, you get punched right in the face. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I think I would have reacted a little bit like the Apostle Paul here. Like, I've had enough. That's it. Like, enough is enough. 
you whitewashed wall. God's going to strike you. You stand there in judgment of me. You just broke the law. How dare you? You hypocrite is basically what he's saying. Sometimes in our lives, we go through a lot. We just go through a lot. As we walk out the calling that God has given us, as we walk and we, we walk in obedience and, and we're trying to do what God's called us to do and be the person that God's called us to be and we're trying to do it. And just as the Apostle Paul is trying to do it here and he gets socked in the face. And sometimes you get socked in the face, you get hurt and, and you get frustrated and you get angry and you say, that's enough. And if you're like, I've never done that, then God bless you. All right, I do that. I have those moments where I go, man, enough is enough. I've had enough. I've been hit in the face way too many times. I just can't take it anymore. And let me just say what I'm really feeling right now. This frustration, this anger, all this stuff that I've been holding back. Let me just let it out. So here's what's amazing about this. I don't think it's any context. I don't think it's 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 out of context for us to have this at the very beginning of this story. This shows us that Paul, under his own power, he's standing there and he's trying to plead his innocence, and then he gets hit in the mouth and he loses it, which makes total sense. If we were in his shoes, we probably would lose it too. But thanks be to God, in that moment, as he loses it, we see his humanity. We see that the Apostle Paul, under his own power, trying to do what God's called him to do, he cannot do it. Because, And to be quite honest, when we try to walk in the calling that God's given us by obedience and do that in faith and walk with him, if we try to do it under our own power, at some point, we're not going to be able to do it. At some point, someone's going to sock us in the face. Something's going to sock us in the face. And we're going to say, that's enough. I've had enough. I'm done. I got to let you know what I really feel about this situation. And that's what happens to Paul here. Now, somebody tells him, hey, would you revile God's high priest? And the apostle Paul all of a sudden realizes the predicament that he's in. He just stood up and said, hey, I've done everything in good conscience before God for my whole life. I've been innocent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to break the law. Realizes he just broke the law. Not meaning to, but he did. And he addresses that. He repents. He says he's sorry. He goes, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest for his written, do not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Man, he just dress this guy down in front of everybody, not knowing he was the, the high priest, the ruler of the people. And instead of addressing saying, well, this guy's the ruler and he just socked me in the face. You guys need to take care of this. This guy, he's not fit. Instead of going that route, which would seem justified, he stops and he goes, no, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have reacted that way. And this is another glimpse into something that God has done in the apostle Paul's life and what he gives us the opportunity to do here today and every day. And when you guys took communion today, it was a time of reflection, time of reflecting on your life, and maybe even repenting of some things, some sins that you still have, some things that you still go towards, the reaction you have whenever you get socked in the face. And you're able to put those before God and put him before the cross and know that by the blood, the shed blood of Jesus, by his broken body, that you have been not just healed, but you've been washed clean and that you can give that to him. And here's Paul in this moment, knowing that he has just done this wrong. And he says, I messed up. How amazing is it to know that 
we can go before God, we can go before others that we have that we have hurt, that we have reacted wrongly towards, and we can ask for forgiveness. We can say we've done wrong. Repentance isn't a one-time thing, but it can be an everyday thing where we can stop and we can say, listen, I did not act the best way I could have acted towards us today. If you have any parents in the room, you probably have felt this before with your kids. I have a five-year-old and 18-month-old boys, and they love to wrestle, and they sock me in the face all the time. Just out of nowhere, big smile, so cute, and then whack right in the face. And after a while, you get tired of it. And you may, I may not react the best way. Like, like my 18-month-old is on my lap, and he socks me in the face, and I set him down off my lap, and I go, I'm done. I need to walk out of the room for a second. All right? And then come back. I'm cool. All right? There's times where you just don't, re, you don't just react the best way, the way you would love to. And you can go back and say, hey, I'm sorry. I could have done better. I will do better. And with Christ, we have that opportunity to do that. So I want you to know this. As we talk about the courageous call, we got to know that the Apostle Paul could not walk out this courageous call under his own power. And you cannot walk out this courageous call under your own power either. Because at some point, you're going to get socked in the face. And at some point, you're going to call someone a whitewashed wall. You probably won't do that. But you probably will call them something. I'm tired of it, and I'm not taking it anymore, Right? Thanks be to God that we can go to him even when that happens and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me to be the person to call, walk out this calling according to your power and your ability in my life by your grace and mercy. All right, so now verse 6 through 10 says this. Now the apostle Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other parts were Pharisees and he cried out to the council. And before I, I, I tell you what he cries out, he cries this, he, he, he understands that there's two different uh, theological parties, for lack of a better word, in the Sanhedrin, in, the, in, in this group of leaders. One is Pharisees, and Paul grew up as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, Pharisees believed in, in angels and believed in the spiritual side of things and believed in the resurrection of the dead, right? And the Sadducees had a very much a Greek kind of philosophy to the way they looked at theology, the way they thought about God. And that is they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in a spiritual aspect of things. And they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. All right, so these are the two parties in the room. Paul knows these are the two parties in the room. All right, and they disagreed about other things, but they really disagreed on, on this. So Paul sees this, and this is what he says. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now, as he says this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldier, go, back, go down and take him away among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So Paul, seeing that there's a divided room, he says, hey, I just want to let you know the only reason why I'm here is because I hold with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's why I'm on trial. And it throws everyone in a tizzy to the point that they're about ready to rip each other apart and rip Paul apart because they so disagree about this. 
But it shows us something here. You know, although we see we see the Apostle Paul having this knowledge of being able to call something out that he knew was probably not going to be taken well by at least one party. But he calls out the truth here. He says, listen, I, he's not here because he preached the gospel to Gentiles. He's not here because even he preached the good news of Jesus. He's here because he believes that there's a resurrection of the dead and he has a hope in it. And that hope resides in Jesus Christ. He's willing to say as a Pharisee, as a son of a Pharisee, and now a follower of Jesus, that, hey, listen, not only is there a resurrection from the dead, but God already resurrected somebody, and that's his son, Jesus. And we can put our hope in him that when the resurrection comes for us, we'll be just and not unjust, and we will get to participate in the resurrection. He says, that's why I'm on trial. That's why I'm here today. That's why you guys have me here. It's because I take courage. I know I have hope in this resurrection through Christ. And the Pharisees can't say anything against him because they believe in a resurrection as well. And you see this whole thing erupt. For us, we need to know that our hope lies in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No matter what we do in this life, no matter what we come against as we walk this life with Christ, we know our hope comes from the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we put on pastel colors and we, and we show up and, we, and, and we, we celebrate. Why? Because death has no sting. There's no victory left in the grave. He has risen. So now we get to rise with him. And that is something that's not just an amazing thing that, hey, someday when you're on your deathbed, you can remind yourself of. That's something you can remind yourself of right now. You are resurrected in Christ. You are a resurrected follower of Jesus. Death has no sting in your life. The grave has no victory. So this courage, we can be courageous. We can get courage from that. But let's find out what the ultimate source of courage comes from. That's number two, the ultimate source of courage. We see this in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, the following night, the Lord stood by him, him being the apostle Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you testify to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. The ultimate source of our courage is the Lord. He is the well of courage that we can pull from. We are called by him. We walk through him, and everything comes by his work, by his power, by his mercy, by his grace, by his love. We know that he is the one that brings the results. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He's, it's the following night. This, is, this whole thing has happened. He's in the barracks. It's, you know, it's pandemonium. It's craziness all around him. And here's the Lord standing next to him. Literally standing next to him. This is the vision he has. He's, the Lord's standing next to him. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Take courage for, I, for, you, for as you have testified to the facts about me, in Jerusalem, now I'm redirecting. I'm giving you a new call. And that new call is that you must testify in Rome. So let's just unpack this a little bit. All this craziness is going on. Paul is following in faith. He's looking probably at this point for some more courage. Doesn't know what's going to happen next. Every time he speaks, people try to kill him. And then he has this visitation from God. 
Now, I, you know, we, we, you probably have heard stories, and maybe you even had, have had supernatural encounters with the living God. And I do believe, personally, that when you read the Scriptures and in life, you can have a personal, a special uh, encounter from the living God. I do believe that visions happen, that, that people can have, uh, hear audibly from God. Like, God can work in that way. I do believe that, personally, I do. I think when you look at the Scriptures, you see that. You see it here. And this is what he has. He has this moment. It's an amazing moment where God is literally standing next to him. And the first words out of God's mouth isn't, hey, what's up, Paul? It's like, hey, 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 buddy. It wasn't anything, it wasn't anything like that. It was like, take courage, take it, take courage, have courage. Like, you need it. You've lost it. You're a little drained on it. Have courage, take it, it's yours. I'm with you. I'm right next to you. Hey, you've been faithful. You've testified about me in Jerusalem. Guess what? I got a next, I got a next for you. I got a next place. That's Rome. And you're going to go do that. That's your next step. Walk in obedience in that way. Take courage. I'm with you. I'm right here. As we walk in the calling that we have to have courage, we got to know that God is right with us. He's with you. He's with me. He is with us. He won't leave us or forsake us. He will give us direction when direction comes. We can't hear from the Lord. Now, here's a few ways that we can definitely hear from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying like tonight you're going to have this special vision of God standing next to you and telling you to take courage and then here's your next step. If that does happen, here's a few things to keep in mind because uh, these are real practical steps of how God speaks to us. We see it in, in the scriptures. And first is the scriptures, God's word. If you do have some kind of special visitation from God, whatever is said there, make sure you compare it to God's word. Make sure it lines up with his word. God doesn't contradict himself. Number two, his church. God speaks through his church, his body, through the people who are discipling you, the people who are in, uh, in spiritual authority in your life and they speak into your life and they help you. Talk to them, go, hey, I had this thing. Pray with them, let them speak. And what's happened with me when I've had moments where God has spoken to me in, in a really powerful way, what I've seen is God confirm that call through other people speaking into my life, people I trust. People I know that aren't just going to say something just to say something. But I go to them and I go, this is what, I, I, what, what do you think? And they, and they confirm it. They go, I, I, it's right on. Here's why. And number three is his conviction, the conviction from his Holy Spirit. Where you read God's word, you hear a message, you hear a teaching, you're being discipled. And as you listen, as you take in, you just feel this conviction that this is right. This is next. This is where... I need to go and what I need to do. God speaks in those ways. And he spoke to the apostle Paul, take courage for you're going to Rome now. So whenever you're looking for courage, whenever you're like, I don't know what to do next, or, you know, I, I just feel like I can't be courageous and walk through this call, whether it's as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a, as a, as a, as a follower of Jesus, or in a specific call with a specific mission somewhere, wherever that may be, Wherever you are at and you need courage, go to God's word, worship, connect with him, read from his word, connect with the church, come in community, get in community, let iron sharpen iron, and then listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit as, as his spirit leads and guides and directs you. So Paul is refreshed and recharged and has this new call to Rome. And then we see number three, Courage from the, Lord, from the Lord's intervention. Courage from the Lord's intervention. Verse 12 through 35. 
So that's at night. Then it says, verse 12, when it was day, so the next day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves to an oath to neither eat or drink until they've killed Paul. That's literally the next day. Verse 13, there was more than 40 who made this conspiracy. So 40 plus people took an oath, not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. I never had, I don't think, 40 plus people make an oath to kill me, all right? But if I had ever happened, I would be wanting the Lord's intervention, right? And here's what, here's what happens. It gets even crazier. So now, they're, now then they, they, they go to the chief priests and elders in verse 14 and say, we have strictly bound ourselves to an oath to taste no food until we've killed Paul. Now, therefore, go along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him when he comes near. So he, they go to the Sanhedrin, they go to the leaders and they say, bring the council, go to the tribune and say, and lie to him and say, we just want to hear Paul and hear him again. And so we can give an exact, uh, uh, exact judgment on him. But as he comes down, we'll kill him. That's how we'll get rid of this guy. As all this is going on, this is craziness. This is the next day. We have verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul's nephew just so happens to catch wind of all this. I love it when, when just so happens happens. Right? And you see God's intervention in a way that you're like, that's crazy. All right, here's 40 plus guys. They're saying, I'm not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. Like we are so about this guy dying that we're not going to eat. We took an oath. We're telling the elders of our, of our faith and they're corroborating with us. They're helping us. And then you see God move through a nephew. So verse 17 on is, and just kind of give you a, a survey of it. Basically, Paul's nephew goes to him, says, hey, listen, I've heard this. This is what's going on. Paul goes, go tell the centurion what you've heard. They go and they tell the centurion. The centurion goes, go tell the tribute. The tribune hears it and goes, okay. And he, in verse 22, so the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And then the tribune turns around and says, he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And then he writes Felix, the governor, a letter basically saying, listen, this Paul guy showed up. Everything went crazy. They're trying to kill him and I can't find a reason why they should kill him. And I'm sending them to you so you can figure this out. In verse, in verse 33, so when they came to Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and they presented Paul before him. On reading the letter, he asked from which providence he was from. And when he learned that he was from Sicilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And then he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's uh, practitorium. So basically, this is what happens. Paul gets a visitation by God. Take courage. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to testify about me just like you did in Jerusalem. The next day, 40 guys are saying, I will not eat or drink until he's dead. The Jewish leaders are, in, are helping with that. 
and then the nephew hears it, and then, then you have all these things fall into place for what to happen, for Paul to start heading to Rome. Here's what's crazy about all this, guys. This horrible thing, this could be horrible situation for the Apostle Paul, God uses as the mechanism to send him towards Rome. Listen, when we walk in the calling that God's given us, we will face resistance. Resistance comes. The enemy doesn't want us to do what God's called us to do, and even other people in this world, and just even ourselves, things within ourselves, resist this call. I know for me, when I received the call to, uh, to be in ministry, I had personal resistance. I had things, I, I did not want to be a pastor. Um, I was younger, all, you know, I had, I had ambition. I had all this other stuff that I want to do besides ministry. I had this outlook on ministry and pastors that was unhealthy and untrue. And I just didn't want to do it. I was like, pick someone else, God. Like, I don't want to do it. I had resistance. And God, through his grace, helped me with that. And when I walk through that personal resistance, then whatever call he's given me in life, I've seen other outside resistance as well. When God called my wife and I to plant a church in Monroe, there was a lot of resistance, a lot of things we felt and saw that we just knew, man, that's, a, that's, that's tough. That's going to be really tough to walk through. We were feeling it, seeing it. And I will never forget when we came to our first service here at City on a Hill, and there was a prospect of possibly being sent by you guys to plant this church. And sitting kind of over where you're sitting and just sitting over here in the corner, it was my wife and I, she was pregnant with our now 18th month old and just going, okay, Lord, we'll see what you're going to do here. And we've seen his provision confirm this call and keep us moving forward and doing what God's called us to do. Whenever you face resistance, and the call that God's given you, take courage to know that he will not only get you through it, but that resistance could be used by God to transform you and transform your circumstances to maybe even propel you in a way that you could not be propelled before to do what God's called you to do in the place he's called you to do it. Paul was just given this call, and the next day, not only does he find out his life's in danger, but he also finds out, too, that he's heading to Caesarea, which is the next step, it was, the, it was the, the central location for where the governor of Rome would be in Judea. He's going to stand before Felix. He's going to be able to plead his case before Felix. He's going to be able to testify of Jesus before Felix. Guys, when you meet resistance, know that God is meeting that resistance with you and he will give you courage as he intervenes. And when God intervenes, Nothing can stand against him. And we see it here. The Jewish authorities could not stand against God. And what did he use to stand against him? A nephew. And a tribune who goes, I don't know what to do. That gives us to number four, courage to speak the truth. Courage to speak the truth. Now, chapter 24 is the Apostle Paul and also the Jewish leaders before Felix. And also Paul's personal uh, conversation with Felix as well. So Paul is here, he's in Caesarea, and now he's got to stand up and he's got to give account. He's got to give his account about what's going on, what the truth is, and what he's about. He's here to testify of Jesus. 
So basically what goes down is we see here in in verse 1, after five days the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullius, that they laid before the governor their case against Paul. So basically the Jewish leaders show up five days later with their high price attorney and he's going to plead the case. The best in Jerusalem, I would imagine. And he shows up and what he does is he, he puffs up Felix he goes, Felix, you're great. You're awesome. I like your hair. No, I didn't say that. But like he just puffs up Felix and then he talks down Paul. He says, well, we have, we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. We stopped this plague. We stopped this guy. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accused him. And then we get to verse 10 to the Apostle Paul and his rebuttal to this. When the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing for many years that you have have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Here's what's amazing about that. Basically what Paul was saying to Felix is like, listen, you've been here a long time. You know these people. You know how you know they're they're the pony show show they're doing right now. You know how they like to do things here. And so I'm actually cheerful to tell you the truth and tell you what's really going on. Basically, you know better, Felix. So let me tell you the truth. And he says this: You can verify that I have. It's been not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or the synagogues or the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But I confess that according to the way, which is called a sect, I worship God of our fathers, believing everything I lay down by the law, lay down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God that which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience before both God and man. And after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation to present offerings. And then he talks about that there were some Jews from Asia and that they should be the ones making this accusation because they're the ones who started this. And he's like, if there's any wrongdoings from those folks, they're the ones who would bring it. Then he gets to verse 21. He goes, oh, other than this, other than, they, they have no wrongdoing against me other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So Paul takes this opportunity in this trial to point out the hope of the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ. He stops, he says, listen. He goes, I have a hope in God. These men accept that, that there's, that there's a resurrection, that there'll be a resurrection of the just and unjust. And I have a clear conscience. I'm not trying to do anything wrong here. All I want to do and all I know is I'm here before you because of the resurrection, because of what I believe. So Felix hears this and it says in verse 22, having rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysa, Lysa, the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. So Felix understood the ways of Jesus. He understood the precepts of Christ. And so he says, okay, I understand. Let's, when the tribune comes, we'll figure this thing out. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's speaking truth. And then this opportunity comes 
in verse 24. So, so Paul is, is still, he's, he's in custody, he's got some liberty, but now he stands before Felix and his wife, who is Jewish, and she sent for Paul and he, and, and he heard him speak about his faith in Jesus. So Paul now has this opportunity to give the gospel to Felix and his wife. And as he, he being Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present, and when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So Paul, with courage, goes to where, is, is ready to go where God's called him to go. God, he's propelled, um, and by God's intervention, he stands before Felix, he speaks the truth, Felix hears him, understands what he's talking about when it comes to Jesus, and says, okay, we're gonna, I'll, let's just wait a bit. Now he, he's got an opportunity to hear the gospel from the Apostle Paul himself personally. And Paul gives the gospel. And when Felix hears the gospel, understanding the way, he was alarmed when he got the judgment. Paul basically standing before Felix and saying, listen, there will be a resurrection of the dead, the unjust and the just, and you want to be just, Felix, and that only comes through Jesus. And Felix goes, I don't, I've heard enough for right now. You know, what you saw in verse 11 wasn't, wasn't uh, God telling Paul, hey, listen, take courage, as you testify about the facts about me to Jerusalem, you're also going to testify about my facts about me to Rome. And, and Felix is going to say yes to it. He's going he's to follow me. He didn't say that. He said, go testify about the facts where I tell you. Take courage to know that you go and do that and I do the rest. And here's Felix, primed and ready he doesn't want to hear anything of it. Guys, as you walk through and courage and where God's called you to go, know that he's got the results as well. So know this, all of us have been called. So if you're sitting there going like, I, I think, I don't know if I have a calling, I don't know what, what my next step is. Hey, listen, you've been called. And the results are up to God, but you have been called to answer and to walk in not just obedience, but walk in courage to know he's got you. So the question is, where? Where are you called? There's general callings. We see this in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. And we have callings in, in relationship with people in our lives that we have influence over, that we can disciple, make disciples of. But you might have a specific, special calling that God has been putting on your heart for a long time. And maybe you've just been saying no to it because of the resistance or whatever else it may be. I want to give you I want to encourage you today to take courage and to answer that call, to know that God's got you wherever you go. He's standing next to you. You have been resurrected in Christ Jesus and you walk in the power of the resurrection. You are a follower of the living God, born again as a new creation. And that the results aren't up to you. What's up to you is to walk by faith in, those, in, in the place that God's called you to. So how can you be courageous? How can you walk in this courage? How can you continue to walk in this? Number one, have faith in the finished work of Christ. Have faith and trust that God is with you. Number two, have hope in his resurrection, that you are resurrected, that you have a right relationship with the living God. And then three, for the love of Jesus, 
Walk in that love and walk in that love publicly to others. If you need courage, trust God. Get in his word. Continue to connect with him. Know that you have this hope of relationship with him and know that he loves you intensely. And then how you reflect that, you can reflect all those things to others and walk in this calling and all those things and all this areas, general, specific that you've been given. That's what Paul is doing here. Now, what we see where it ends is verse 26 and 27. We see that Felix had hoped that Paul would give him some money. Well, that didn't work out. And so he stayed in prison because Felix, being savvy in politics, wanted to keep the Jewish people happy. He did a favor. So for two years, Paul's in prison. But even in all that, he's got courage in the calling that he has in Christ. And you can have courage in the calling that you have in Christ. So if you're in here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. To take that first step of understanding how amazing God's love, mercy, and grace is for you. To take that first step in this right relationship. To be able to walk in courage in the calling that he's given you in your life. To follow him and to help make disciples in wherever place that may be. And maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but you, you're just... You're not, maybe there's a call that you're not answering. I want to pray that you would have the courage to answer that call. And maybe you're walking in that call. You know what it is. And you just need courage to continue to walk in that call. I want to pray for you to continue to walk in that call. Because God wants to do something through you that only he can do through you. That he has chosen to do through you as part of his body. So I want to encourage you. Walk where he's called you to walk and walk courageously. Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you that you are the one who gives us faith. You're the one who gives us hope, that you're the one and the author of love. But Lord, you also give us courage and a call, a place to go, a people to meet, disciples to be made, not only to see others come to know you and to, and to continue to further on the advancement of your kingdom, but Lord, for us to see the sweetness of walking in obedience with courage and what you've called us to do. So Father, for some of us, you've given us a call and we just haven't accepted it yet. For whatever means it may be or why we, we, we've, we've said no so far, Father, we just pray that you would just help us. Help us to lay before you what is standing in the way of that. Help us to continue to put that before you and to listen to the conviction, to listen to those that you've put around us and to listen to your word when it comes to it. Help to provide for whatever need is, is there that may be stopping us as well. Father, for some of us, as we walk courageously in this call, we pray for more courage, to take courage, just like Paul needed to take courage in verse 11. Lord, we take courage knowing that you are with us. And if you be for us, who could be against us? And you will never leave us nor forsake us. So help us, Father, to walk courageously, to give us wisdom and insight to do what you've called us to do to the people and the place you've called us to do it in. And Father, for some of us right now, we've never, we, we haven't made that decision to say yes to you, to not just say yes to a call and to courage, but to say yes to a relationship, a relationship that comes through what Jesus did for us on the cross. This relationship that is born out of blood and a broken body of our, of our Savior. So Father, for some of us, we're confessing 
for the first time and believing that we need a Savior, that we've fallen short, and we need you, Lord. We need to be saved. We thank you that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have been washed clean as we confess him as Lord, as we confess him as Savior, and we believe, Lord, we thank you for this transformation happening in our lives and hearts. And we also pray, Lord, we know and confess and believe that you resurrected Christ from the dead, and now we have the hope of your resurrection in our lives, that now we are resurrected in you as a new creation in Christ. We thank you, Father. We give you glory because we know that we walk with you in right relationship through Christ. So, Father, help us, Lord. Continue to guide us. Continue to help, help us worship and connect with you, to hear more from your word, to be connected and established in your body, to do what we've been called to do and created to do. We thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.